We're uh, a couple of weeks here uh, from finishing our study of, of knowing our Savior. We've been walking uh, through different places in the gospel, different titles that Christ carries, different names, different uh, functions that he has in our lives and, and in the universe. Uh, just some incredible things that we've been able to learn about him. We've, we've looked at how he teaches or how he taught um, and, and the different things that we could glean from that in our personal walks. And uh, recently, uh, for the last portion of the summer, we've been, uh, some different guys have been taking turns teaching and, and going through studies of the different people that, that Christ has come across, right? The different people that he interacted with, uh, he crossed paths with, and what we can learn, again, about our own walk with Christ by those interactions. And so tonight, we're going to you know, simply just look at, tonight and in two weeks when we finish the study, we're going to look at his interactions with the disciples, right? The people he spent most of the time with on his, or during his earthly ministry were the 12 disciples. And so we're going to look at those fellas uh, just a little bit, and uh, we're not necessarily going to do a character study on them. We want to see what we can learn about Christ by who he hung out with. Right, so we're always trying to focus on knowing our Savior. We're trying to focus on getting to know him. And there's a lot we can learn by the, by the guys that he chose to call to follow him. You know, he, he didn't pick just one specific type of person. He didn't just you know, favor certain ones. He, he picked a whole bunch of different guys. And uh, we'll see some of that here in, in just a minute. But tonight's message is just simply titled The Lord's Disciples. And so that's who we're going to look at. And hopefully by the end of tonight and, and by the end of the study, we'll, we'll know more about Jesus and, and not just about the guys that spent time with him. Uh, so by, by way of introduction, though, I want to point out there's an interesting, uh, it's, it's interesting to me that there's three phases of his calling to these individual men. And the first portion there, you can see there's the three bullet points on your study sheet. The first calling is actually John, John the Baptist. There's his disciples are following him, and what he calls them to is he calls them to behold Jesus, right? I think it was Zach, you did a study for us, you know, weeks back on his title, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so uh, there's a passage on here. We're not going to read through all of those verses, but just the first Three verses of that, John chapter 1, 35 through 49, says, And again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they, they followed Jesus. So the interesting thing is the, the three calls that we see for these disciples are the same calls that each and every one of us get. Right? First and foremost, we need to behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. If you're going to become a disciple of Christ, you've got to behold who he is. Right? We've got to recognize who he is. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one that takes away the sin of the world. And when we follow him in submission and ask him to be our Lord and Savior, he is exactly that. And we become his disciples. So that's the first call, is behold Jesus. The second call is Jesus himself. Jesus calls them to follow him. In Luke chapter 5, verses 3 through 11, Again, we'll just read the, the last couple of verses here. It says, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all 
They gave it all up, and they followed him. Right? And so he called them two by two, some of them. There was a group of three here. And, and you know, one and goes and gets his brother, and another guy go gets it, goes and gets his brother, and then he stops and gets Matthew. He calls them individually to follow him. And what he's interested in is exactly what these guys are, are doing, is forsaking all. Look, I give it all up. I'm going to go where you're going to go. Now, that's not necessarily salvation, right? We've already seen salvation, the, the call to recognize who he is as Lord and Savior. But are you going to keep growing with him? Are you going to keep walking? Or is there going to be something that, that knocks you off the path? Is there going to be something that stops you? And he says, I, I want you to give it all up. Let's go all the way. Right? And the third call is, is Jesus calls them to go make new disciples. Right? So they're, they're called to behold and called to follow, and then they're called to go. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. In the first couple of verses here, it says that it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Does anybody know what the word or the name apostle means? One that is sent. It's like a missionary, right? So they're disciples because they're following him. He says, your name is now going to be apostle. Your title is now going to be a sent one. Sent out to do what? Well, to make more disciples. That's, that's the point. So he, he desires a relationship with us. He desires us to behold him as Savior. He wants us to grow and become more like him. And when we become more like him, he wants us to go get somebody else to follow us so that they can be more like him too. Right? It's, it's an awesome, awesome picture. It's an awesome, you know, uh, three phases of, of what we see in their lives is the exact same thing he wants for us. He wants us to grow and mature and, and know him so well that we become like him, right? And that's, that's just an awesome thing. So uh, we're, we're going to get into a little bit more of the details on your study sheet, but I want to pray before we go any further, and then uh, we'll, we'll just keep plugging along. Lord, thank you so much for the things that we can learn about you uh, through the men that followed you. Um, a lot of them did a lot of dumb things and said things that, that needed correction and needed rebuking and needed, you know, redirection. And, and man, we need that too. That one of the awesome things about the, the disciples is we can all find ourselves in one or two or, or many of them uh, at different times in our lives. And we can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from your grace. We can learn from uh, your reactions, <coughs> excuse me, to them. And, and uh, we want to learn that tonight. We want to learn more about you. Uh, so that we can uh, be closer to you. Uh, I pray that you teach us. I pray that you guide us. Uh, pray that we would be your true disciples. Uh, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so as we get started, you know, we're just going to ask three questions, three main questions, and we're going to see what we can learn. So the first question, obviously, is who were the disciples? The first question is who? And again, we're not looking to do a character study of these guys, but rather looking at the types of men that Jesus chose. What can we learn about him? Um, and we, I just have all of them listed on here. I'm just going to go through some details of them. Some of you know probably more about these guys than I do. And so uh, we're just going to hit some high points. Peter, obviously, was a man whose boldness often found him in correction. Painful lesson after painful lesson. Right? Anybody ever feel like, man, I... I can, rec- I can relate with Peter. Sometimes I, not, no, not, I wasn't insinuating you, Ben. Like, 
Sometimes you open your mouth and things come out and you're like, ah, I should have put my foot in my mouth before I put my foot in my mouth or something. Somebody stop me from saying something stupid. Uh, you know, we, we learn and we can appreciate Peter because, you know, he was the stereotypical type A personality. He was going to be first. He was going to speak first. He was going to take chances. He was going to go for it. Those are the kind of guys, man, when, when those guys are, are walking with the Lord and, and making wise decisions and going for it, you want to be where they're going to be because you're going to see some really cool things. You're going to see him hit the wall really hard every once in a while, but, but God's going to pick him up and, and it's going to be awesome, right? It's, it's going to be a good thing. And so Peter was that guy. He was a leader's leader, right? He, he was that type A personality. Andrew, there's not a lot of detail on Andrew. Uh, there's a lot of different instances where you see him included, but, you know, just some of the details of him, he's one of several fishermen. You know, these guys were hardened by a difficult profession, by a rough region of the world to grow up in. Uh, one of the things that was said about the disciples, especially the fishermen, was many people were astonished at their wisdom after spending time with Christ. So, before Christ, not so wise. <laughs> a little rough around the edges. It's okay. Some of us are like that, and that's okay. Um, you know, Christ is the one who, who softens the edges and corrects those things and, and educates us where we're uneducated. And so it's, it's awesome that they were one thing beforehand, and afterwards the world had to take notice because those things don't exist in Galileans, right? That was pretty cool. Uh, James, when he was with his brother John, was referred to as the Sons of Thunder, right? Sounds like a pretty sweet nickname until you realize they were just... They were just a little bit too bold, a little bit too jerky. Like There was people resisting Christ's teaching, and man, they wanted to bring down hellfire on, <laughs> on top of them. Like, Lord, can we vaporize them right now? Is that okay if we remove them from the earth? Well, you know, give it time. That'll happen someday, right? Is, is, and so it's not theirs. Vengeance didn't belong to them, but, but that's kind of how they behaved themselves. And man, I've felt that way before. I can relate to those guys. Uh, John is an interesting character. This is w- the one disciple that had a closer walk with the Lord than all of the rest. Right? Likely because of this, this walk with the Lord, he was allowed to pen much of the New Testament. Um, he wrote the Gospel of John, obviously. He wrote the three epistles or the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also the book of Revelation. Right? Nobody's jealous of what he had to go through being exiled on the Isle of Patmos, but he, he got revelation nobody else got. And he got more than he was even you know, able to record. That's pretty awesome. Uh, he had a really close, incredible relationship with the Lord. Uh, Philip is another one we don't know a ton of detail about, but what we do see is Philip's immediate response was running to find Nathaniel. Right? So immediately he says, we found the Messiah. Right? He he believed right away, and when he believed, he took the message to somebody else. That's a cool guy right there, right? He, he understood. So he's, he's a guy who's, who's faithful and optimistic, right? I believe this is the Christ. If this is the Christ, I've got to tell people. We've we got to get this message out. Uh, he's he's kind of the opposite of Thomas. We'll get, we'll get to him in a minute. Nathaniel, who he went to get, Christ refers to as the one with no guile, Right? That means no motive to deceive. This is just a truthful guy. Right? He's, he's not looking to, to climb the corporate ladder by stepping on everybody else. He's, he's just a good guy. He's, a, he's an honest guy. He's, 
He's, he's not motivated to, to deceive. There's no acting. There's no hypocrisy. He is who he says he is. That doesn't mean he doesn't say the truth or hold back. He's not passive aggressive. He's just honest. It's just who I am. Uh, Matthew, a tax collector, a publican, a couple of weeks ago, Zach, or uh, sorry, Alex Gaskin taught us about Zacchaeus, not Zach, Zacharias. It's a different guy. Alex taught us, you know, what the character of many of those tax collectors was. You know, most of them were hated because they were taking extra than the normal taxes. The way they received their income was, Rome wants this much. I make my money when I add to that and I take off the top. Rome wants 7%, I'm collecting 10, I get three, right? That's, that's how they made their living. They could have done it with a minimal amount, but they often got greedy and greedier and greedier, and, and so then people knew they were coming, people knew they were gonna take advantage of them, people couldn't do anything about it, so they hated them uh, because they were mostly dishonest and, and taken from people. Uh, so then we get to Thomas, you know, one referred to most often as doubting Thomas, and really, he was, he was more of a pessimist, right? He's the, he's the gray cloud for every silver lining kind of guy, right? Oh, you're having a good day? Let me just rain on your parade, buddy. It's not as good as you think it is. This is going on, and this is going on. You know, he's, just, he's just got a negative outlook. He's also my kind of guy, right? I can, I can do that from time to time when I'm feeling grumpy. I, sh- I shouldn't, but I can relate. Uh, there's a guy named James, another guy named James. This is James the Less, he's referred to. There's not much detail, uh, but maybe this James the Less is, is an indicator of this is a small man, an unimportant man, and he's one of the 12. It doesn't matter how important you are in other people's eyes. right? Christ put priority on this guy because Christ wants to reach everyone. Uh, Simon the Zealot, the Zealots were a bold bunch of troublemakers. They were consumed by politics. They were consumed by taking physical, physical control of Israel back from Rome. Um, there was an, a second Judas, not uh, Judas Iscariot, but the, the other Judas, Judas had several names. One of them was Thaddeus, and he's not well known, but we do see one interaction where he questions the Lord about what's going to happen in the future, and, you know, I always get nervous, like, when you read and they're asking a question, I'm like, oh, man, the Lord's going to let them have it. That was a stupid question. I'm ready, I'm ready for his answer to, to, to correct them. And, you know, because he knew their heart and why they asked what they asked. And there was some heart issue, and in his answer, he corrects their heart issue and answers the question. But, man, not with this guy, not with this Judas. He, he just gives him a straight answer. So it must have been a straight-up question with the right heart attitude. So that's pretty cool. He's a sincere man, another honest man with an honest request, and God, Christ gives him an honest answer. Um, and then we have Judas Iscariot, right? This is the betrayer. This is the man who betrayed Jesus, and Jesus knew it when he called him to follow him. He, he called even one that would turn his back on him. And so that's really interesting. And, and so what we have here is all different personality types, from all different backgrounds, from, you know, some by the seashore, some in the tax office. They're, they're from all different walks. The people he didn't choose, the religious elite. He, he didn't have anything to do. What we see with his interactions with the Pharisees and the scribes was constant putting in 
in their place, right? He, he was humbling them left and right, and, and they still refused that humility as well. They thought they were better than, than what he was you know, teaching. It's clear that Christ wasn't choosing them for their abilities. He was choosing them in spite of their shortcomings, wasn't he? He was picking a bunch of people that couldn't measure up in everybody else's eyes. Because like those Galilean fishermen, when something came out of their mouth that, that never came out of a Galilean's mouth before, that had to be from somewhere else. That had to come from somewhere else. Matthew twenty two fourteen says, Many are called, but few are chosen. And he was very specific in who he called. He was very specific in the men that he asked to follow him. You ever notice there's, there was constantly large crowds following Christ. He desired them all, but not all of them continued. Right? Just a few stuck it out. 1 Corinthians is, it's like my, like if I ever have to fill out a resume again, I think 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 is, is my resume. Like, if I'm telling the truth. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And this is probably not going to get me a great job, but, but I'm just saying if I'm being honest. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught or to bring to nothing things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it, as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. What do I have to bring to the table? Uh, not a whole lot, right? If this is my job description. Wise, uh, nope. Mighty? Mm-mm. Nobility? Did you say no ability? <laughs> I got that one. Foolish? At times. Weak? Unfortunately. Gets worse as you get older. Base? Look, I'm about as uninteresting as they get. I'm a 17 year engineer who likes math, and doing math problems with my daughter who cries through, <laughs> through the poor thing. <laughs> she hates math. She hates it. And I'm just like, well, that was really fun. It was some geometry, some squares and stuff. It was great. <laughs> Base, that's me. He chose me. Because I qualify for unacceptable in the rest of the world. Any of you guys relate to that? He chose me because I can't take the center of attention. He gets the glory. That's awesome. You guys ever heard of the bean theory? I know you have, because I know somebody that, yeah. The bean theory is that, you know, the beans, it's like an accounting joke kind of thing. The bean theory is, you know, when God was putting us together, he, he put so many beans in each category of our skills, right? Everybody gets the same amount of beans, but God distributed them 
differently for everybody, right? Does anybody ever have a friend that's so smart, you, you're just like, man, where do they, how do they contain all that brain power, but they can't even find their way to work? <laughs> like, you know those people? It's because all their beans are in the intellect, yep. call them, right? And, and, and you know, the ability to, to find their self on a map is just not there. Other people have that, but that person doesn't have that, right? So that's the bean theory. Like, everybody gets a little bit, and I, I'm convinced. I got three beans across the board. <laughs> God was like, strength, three beans. <laughs> Intellect, three beans. Agility, three beans. <laughs> Hair follicles. Social interactive skills. <laughs> Three pieces, right? Who cares? Because what I lack, he makes up for. And he gets all the credit for it, and it's fantastic, because I'd mess it up anyway, because I would think I had more beans than I actually had, right? Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some, mount, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's the Lord's will. It's his desire that all would turn from sin unto him. He's not forcing anyone. He places that responsibility in our choice, in our hands. We get to choose. He picked all personality types to reach all people. He picked all personality types with character flaws to reach all people and all personality types with character flaws because he's the difference maker and he desires to reach everyone. Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. Jesus says every personality type falls under whosoever. Everybody. The only initial requirements were a Jewish heritage and a willingness to follow. And we don't have to be Jewish anymore. Praise the Lord. Right? And that wasn't the long-term plan anyway. He wanted to reach them to reach the world. He wants to reach you to reach the world. Don't have to be a Jew anymore. That's great. So the question was, who gets to be a disciple of Christ? Anyone willing to follow. Willing to follow? You fall into that category. No matter where your beans are. So the next question is why? Why disciples? Why discipleship? We've already made the point that he uses us to get glory for what we can't accomplish on our own, and that's awesome. We don't take credit for it. He gets credit. But it still doesn't quite seem right that he would use the ones who need rescued to try and rescue others. Like, you know, you, you're on the airplane and they say, you know, if the plane's going down and we go in the water, you take care of yourself first. Make sure you're safe before you try and rescue anybody else because then otherwise you're both dead, right? <laughs> we're, all, we're all out of luck. No, the plan that he put in place was this. It's, it's the plan. That's why discipleship. It's capital T-H-E, right? It's the plan. It's the only plan he put in place. Most of the, the gospel accounts are about the interaction that Christ has with his followers. Obviously, those are the guys that wrote them, so they're going to talk about 
what happened in their lives, but the bigger reason is that this is the plan to inform all the world of the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. He's saying this, is been, this has been the plan all along. This is what the prophets have been talking about. They didn't even fully understand it. They're trying to figure out what does he mean and when does he mean and who's it going to take place with. Man, we want to know the answers to those things. They didn't know. And when it happens and when it takes place and when you submit to the Holy Spirit and God's word moves in your heart, the angels in heaven look down and go, whoa, did you see that? That was incredible. All of creation is watching this in, in wonder. This has been the plan all along. Luke 15.10 says, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. One person turns from their way to him. And the angels are again. Did you see that? Because Ephesians 3.10 tells us what's actually going on. The intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Because they realize this has been the plan all along. Like when we were there before the beginning, God already knew, and he had a plan, and he was working the details, and he was working so that they could read a book and understand, and he could move in their hearts, and they could surrender, and then he puts himself inside of them, right? I don't know what it looks like for an angel's mind to be blown, but They've got, they're pretty impressed. Because what just happened was the manifold wisdom of God just was put on display for all of heaven. And they're in awe. And they get to see him every day. And every time somebody else turns their heart toward God, they're amazed all over again. Man, he had this all figured out from the beginning. So why should you be discipled? Why should you be a disciple of Christ? Because you place yourself inside of God's manifold wisdom on display on earth right now. This has been the plan all along. And when you put yourself in that position to follow him, to surrender to him, you get to be part of what puts God's manifold wisdom on display for all of creation. And that sounds like a good idea to me. I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of the plan. Not my plan. I want to be part of this plan. The second thing that it does is it, it displays the Trinity. Again, it's, it's back to his glory. It's back to his name. He gets credit. Christ places his faith in the Father's ability to draw men, the Word's ability to illuminate truth. It is truth. 
and the Spirit's ability to guide and direct people according to what God said. 1 John 5, 7 shows us the Trinity. It says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. These three are one. John 6, 44 talks about the Father. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. Isaiah 55, 11 talks about the Word and its the, its function and how it works. It says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Man, I want to be where his word is, because he says that thing's not going to return void. It's not going to return without having accomplished what he sent it out to accomplish. I want to be where that's at. I want to be a part of that plan. I want to see and I want to be part of the manifold wisdom of God. And John 16, uh, verses 7 and 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Ghost, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's going to help you know how to walk according to what he said. He's going to tell you, hey, remember what I said in my word about that? That's sin. Don't do that. You know what I said about righteousness and, and judgment and, and how to make right decisions? That's what judgment is. It's measuring decisions against a standard. When you judge as though you're the standard, that's what everybody ought to be upset about because you're a terrible standard, and so am I. Judgment according to the righteous standard of God's word is a whole different issue. We're not put on this earth to judge and pigeonhole everybody and figure them out. And we're put here to, to love and, and share this message, right? But he says, you ought to be judging. You ought to be measuring your life against my standard, my righteous standard. So why discipleship? Because it works. And when it works all creation takes notice. Discipleship works, and when it works, all of creation takes notice. Some people take notice and they get mad at you. You're just judging me. My life just changed. I didn't, didn't judge anything. I, I judged what God said was wrong in my life. I agreed with him. He took it away. He changed me from the inside out. I'm not saying I'm any better than you, but that's what people hear, don't they? People get upset that, you know, the stinking Christians, they just think they're better than everybody. No, way better off. Like, I know the end of the story. I know where I'm going. You need to know Jesus Christ and, and who he is and what he can offer and, and why he wants you. I'm not better. Way better off. The last question for tonight, what, what is a disciple? We're just going to see a few verses here and we'll wrap it up. But first off, uh, what is a disciple? We've got to look at the dictionary because I'm always interested what old Webster had to say. Dictionary says it's a learner, a scholar, one who receives or professes to receive instruction from another. That's a pretty simple definition, a learner. Uh, the second one is a follower, an adherent to the doctrines of another. So it's not just somebody who learns, it's somebody who learns so that they can follow. That sounds like an accurate description. 
let's see what the Bible says, right? We could probably go into the Bible alone. I said probably, I mean, yeah, that's all we need. Matthew chapter 10, we'll start there. Verses 24 and 25 says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. So it's not necessarily in discipleship. It's not like, you know, we've got the program of discipleship here at First Baptist, right? We get together one-on-one. We work through some lessons. We're not saying the disciple is, is way above. No, no, he, he's just down the road, right? He, he's got some experience. She has some life experience. She's been able to apply these things that she's learned in her life. And when this scenario comes up, this is what I do. Because God word, God's word tells me that. That's, that's what it is. That's all it's saying. They're before you. But, but from the disciples' perspective, man, you ought to respect. And you ought to, you know, desire to have the understanding that that individual has. You, sh- you should want to spend time with them. You should want to be with them. You should want to know, how do you process this? And what happens when you run into this scenario in life? And, and what about, you know, this person at work that's really hard to get along with? And and what about my money that I want to spend all on me, right? All of the things that, that come up in life, you ought to desire those things. But the goal is so that you'll be more like that individual. And we know, I don't want anybody to be like me, but if I'm actually like Christ, then, then it's supposed to be a good thing, right? It is a good thing. We'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. Luke 6.40 says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. All right, and we've studied the Bible around here long enough. We know that word perfect, when it comes up in your King James Bible, is not talking about flawless. Right? Perfect is mature. It's, it's advanced. It's, it's near complete. Right? Perf- perfect is, is not a flawless thing. So if I'm talking about, you know, my eight-year-old son, and he, we're talking about how he's doing in his emotional maturity, well, it depends. Is this first thing in the morning? Is this right before bed? Is this right after school? You know, like there's, it's a whole different, you know, it just depends. If, if it happens, you know, if, if he's in a bad mood, and, you know, we just, we see all of the immaturity. It's all on the surface. We know exactly how mature it is. It happens by Ginny and I instructing him along the way, right? Hopefully, we're more mature than our eight-year-old son. You know, some days, maybe not, I don't know. But hopefully, we're further along than he is. And hopefully, we can say, okay, I understand eight-year-old's acting like an eight-year-old. Well, let's help him act like, you know, a couple of weeks down the road, maybe. Let's... <laughs> Let's help him take some steps toward maturity. Let's help him understand that this is not going to continue to be acceptable. Some things are cute for a time. You know when they're not? When you shouldn't do it anymore, right? When you, know, when you have a speech impediment as a little, little kid because it's the first time you're saying any words, oh, man, that's so cute. I hope they never say that any different. Well, if they're still saying it that, that way at 16, you've done something wrong unless there's a physical medical condition that you know, is making it come out of their mouth that way. If my R's are all W's and I just thought it was cute for so long, I never corrected it, right? Help that poor kid before someone makes fun of them at school, right? It's, it's our job to help them along the way is the point, right? So left to himself, he'll continue to have an immature view of life. 
It'll always revolve around him. You know what his life is about? His life is about throwing stuff and cars and his new ripstick two-wheeled skateboard thing. Like life revolves around that stuff right now. Is that a mature view of life? No, that's an eight-year-old view of life. It's okay for an eight-year-old. But it can't stay that way. He requires someone who understands that life doesn't revolve around him to help him to see that as he goes. He needs someone more mature. Some of you volunteer in children's ministry around here. We've got several from, uh, that help out in extreme. What happens if you're just the fun teacher? Okay, so I was in, you know, first, second, and third for several years. Went, I mean, you can bring, you, you can be great in the eyes of kids. Just bring the fun up, man. Just, just go crazy. But how do you bring them back down? How do you manage the crowd once you've got them all spazzing out? <laughs> right, there's a balance to it, right? I'm not saying be boring like me. I'm saying you've got to go in knowing I've got to be fun enough to relate Yet they've got to recognize, man, I'm here to help them grow. I'm here, somebody they can follow. And, and if they see me out during normal life outside of this class, you know, am I still just a big child? <laughs> Hopefully not. Ho- hopefully they see something that, that they can follow. Again, there's a balance. The point is you're in there to help them take a step forward in maturity, in their walk with Christ. That's the point. Uh, Luke 14, 26 through 33, this is a long one, but we'll just, we'll fly through it here. If any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's a hard saying. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Less haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to, mo- or began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth condi- conditions of peace." So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Again, this is, a, this is a, a lot of very hard sayings. Let me help you make sense of this. This is a contrast of priorities, right? To hate your mother and father and, and sister and brother is, is not saying, you know, I came here to love you so that you can hate others. That's, that's not the point. It's a contrast, right? If, if I'm not the priority, oh, by the way, when you make me the priority, Christ is saying, this is part of the cost. Your family will turn against you at times. People who you thought were your friends will turn against you. Are they going to turn you away from me? What's the cost? Right? What do you love more than Christ? Who do you love more than Christ? Where does your loyalty lie? That's, that's what he's saying. What relationship is going to move you away from Christ? What comfort in your life has priority? What's the cost? 
That, that's what he's asking, right? You know, we've, we've all seen people who, you know, unfortunately leave a good church. Looks like they're growing, they're doing great. And the reason, often, I, I don't know all the reasons, I'm not going to pretend to, but often the cost is too high. It's because the loyalty they have to something or someone else is higher than the loyalty they have to Christ. They say, no, I guess I, I, guess I can't be your disciple. They, they agree, and unfortunately they leave, and, and that's always a sad thing. They make a choice. He says, count the cost. Are you going with me? It's going to be awesome because I'm, I'm going to give you peace and I'm going to carry the load and I'm going to make up the difference and I'm going to be the one who gets all the credit and it's going to be awesome. But there's a cost. Acts 9.26 says, When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So Saul was the one killing Christians. He's eventually changed his name to Paul. After Christ was gone, what do you do? I'm going to go be with the ones who were with Christ. I'm going to follow them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul's instructions was, follow me as I follow the Lord. If I'm genuinely following the Lord, you'll be okay. Right? Because I'm going to be more like Jesus, and the more you're like me, you're going to be like Jesus. That's the goal. Man, if you look over your shoulder and someone's following you, who are they going to be more like? That's, that's a tough question for me as a discipler, right? So with and without Paul, we see in Philippians 3.17, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which so or which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. Right? How, how are people supposed to walk? According to the word of God, right? We have the standard, we understand what they're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be living. And man, you need to find somebody that you respect, that's following the Lord, that's submitted to him. Go follow them, be around them, try to soak up as much as you can from them. How how is it that you make your decisions? What Bible verse do you go to, to to deal with those conflicts? Man, I've got this lust in my life. I can't, I can't seem to figure it out. You seem to be a little further down the road. Can you help me out? Disciple me. Teach me. Help me. Be more like Jesus. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner who follows to become like the one being followed. And ultimately, obviously, we want to follow Christ. We don't want to just learn about who he is. We don't want information alone. And I want to be changed. I want to be different because I follow Christ. That's what he's promised. So in, in a couple of weeks, we'll ask the question, and we'll look into the details of, you know, what kind of disciple am I? It's a good question to ask. We'll, we'll get into that study. But tonight, as we finish, I just want to think about what we can learn again about our Lord by taking an overview of the men that followed him. 
First off, he's not a respecter of persons. The Bible says that over and over again. Anyone and everyone is welcome. Right? He will change you as you walk together. He's not saying, hey, get your life right and then come see me. He's, come see me so that I can help you. I will change you from the inside out. You can't fix the flesh with the flesh. That thing won't do it. It will refuse. It plays dead long enough to think you've got victory. He will change you as you walk together. The qualification is a humble heart in response to his call. He's had a plan all along. There's another thing that we can see. A plan that puts his wisdom far above anything we've ever imagined. The details that he has already thought of. The people's lives he's already changed to put in your path to help you grow. Man, he's thought of it all. He's got it all covered. He's had a plan all along, and he's not just looking for learners. He's looking for followers. And that's what I want to be. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you again for the worship tonight. Thank you for your word, as always. Thank you for these men that you put on display for us. We read about them, and we laugh at them, and we you know, think... Some of the things they say are dumb, and we also relate. We relate a lot, and you did that on purpose, and I'm so thankful that you did. Because you included all of those guys, because you want to include all of us. Lord, please change our hearts. Change us from the inside. Help us to be the followers that you desire, so that you can take us to a point and turn us around and send us to help others. This world needs to know before it's too late. There is hope. And we thank you for that hope, Lord. I pray this last song is glorifying to you. Uh, thank you again for the time that we had in your word. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.